Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 88. Thanks so much for joining me on your Tuesday night. Um, today's guest is Kim Adonizio. She's on the line with us. She'll be here in just a moment. But before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry. And I know you love poetry because you're here. And since you're here, please do click the like button. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're watching this after the fact, you can leave a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever. That always helps because it bumps you up the ratings. And then it'll pop up randomly for more people. Then more people will get to enjoy great poetry like we're going to have today. Now, as I mentioned, today's guest is one of my favorite poets. Um, you know, I, there's this whole pantheon of, of poets for me who I discovered uh, when I started falling in love with poetry. And uh, one of them was Kim and her book, uh, The Philosopher's Club. Uh, but we decided to have a, a tribute to Kim Edenizio last spring in Rattle Number 67. And that was a tribute to Kim Edenizio and her students because she um, does a lot of private poetry workshops and has a whole like tree of students um, that she's she's taught how to write poetry for. And so we uh, have that issue, which was a tribute to Kim and her students. We got to hear in the interview a whole bunch about um, Kim's philosophy on writing and what she's trying to do and things like that. If you have any questions, if you've read that interview, uh, you can have uh, put your questions in the chat window, and I will pass them along later in the show. So feel free to ask any questions of Kim you want, and we'll pass those along later. Uh, but for now, let's uh, welcome Kim Adonizio here. Hello, Kim. How are you doing today? Hi. Good. Um, do you want to start out by reading a poem? Sure. I'll, um, I'm going to read from this new book. Now we're getting somewhere, and I'll start out with the first poem in the book, which is called Night in the Castle. I'm not sure what to do about that scorpion twitching on the wall. Maybe I should slam it with this book of terrible poetry, or just read aloud to it until it dies of a histrionic metaphor bleeding out on the ancient stones in a five-octave aria. If I get a little drunker, I might try to murder it with my sandal. I gave up on mercy a while ago. That's what happens when you live in a castle on an artist's grant. You look at the late afternoon Umbrian light smearing itself over the tomato vines and feel entitled, like an underage duchess whose husband has finally died of gout, leaving her free for more secret liaisons with the court musician. She might even have poisoned the duke, the lecherous shit. It's hard to remember what life was like before this, and I don't want to. I want to stay here and poison the king next. I want to be a feared and beloved queen, ordering up fresh linens and beheadings, locking up bad poets in their artisanal hair shirts, torturing academics with pornographic marionette performances. Meanwhile, the scorpion is still there twitching slightly, reciting something about violence in the prison of ego. And I can hear the clashing armies on the wide lawn outside, sinking down into history and then standing up again. And that was the uh, opening poem from Kim's new book, Now We're Getting Somewhere, which you can see on the screen right here. Hot off the presses. I just received my copy about a half an hour ago. I read a PDF version yesterday. Um, but it's, it's a great, great new book, as wonderful as all your books are. I've, just, I've loved every one of your books that's, that's come out since it has. Um, do you want to explain a little bit um, what you were going after with this book? Like what... what um, what do you think unifies it together? I mean, the it feels to me like um, reading it, I don't know, like like trying to confront the 
difficulties of life or something that the the cynicism that you encounter um is sort of at the heart of it do you think that that is that what it's about you would say uh i don't know it's um you know it's got some sort of snarky poems and snarky lines for sure um I, I always point to the two epigraphs of the book as sort of the twin poles, really, that it kind of careens between one being Leonard Cohen's Everybody Knows the Captain Lied, and these were all written during the Trump years, so I, I think it's really inflected by that. And uh, the other quote is, pour yourself a drink, put on some lipstick and pull yourself together from Elizabeth Taylor. And so... Um, so a lot of it is sort of veering between the personal and what we call the political, but also they interpenetrate as they do in life, you know. So there's, you know, to say something is purely personal or purely political feels kind of weird to me <laughs> because it, I, I think that it all kind of comes in and then it all swirls around inside and comes out in some form and, and everything is is kind of colored by each thing is colored by the other. Yeah. Um, there's a line there that I just love that the world is like an ugly person. You're supposed to love for their inner beauty, which um, that's in from in bed, which was a one. And, and, and the, I don't know, it, it does feel like a Trump years kind of book and, and how to deal with sort of the, the anxiety and the, and the sense of sort of, I don't know, like how to come through on the other side, I guess, maybe, you know, through humor and through, um, I don't know, like looking through, looking forward instead of it, it all that, that you don't want to look at. Um, the, I don't know, talk a little bit too about the, the style that you've um, evolved through the years. Because there's sort of a, a more f open style, I think, too, in the poems as the, as the years, as the books have progressed. Um, can you say a little about your evolution as a poet? Yeah, um, I, I think, yeah, this, this book, I think, is kind of a mix, a little bit of styles. Uh, but there's definitely the later poems are mostly the longer lined ones, mm -hmm. and which I was doing back when I wrote Tell Me, which came out in 2000. But then I was heavily under the influence of C.K. Williams and, and uh, kind of processing him in those long lines in a way. And these are these are not at all like his long lines. <laughs> so it's a different voice, but still long lines and maybe a little more discursive in that way in that they're almost essayistic mm -hmm. in the sense of exploring some idea and they're almost like little compressed essays on a particular theme um, that, that's also sort of intermixed with this voice that uh, I love that you said it was more open because it, it did feel a lot of those poems came quickly and and I felt like I really had hold of some voice or some voice had hold of me that was different from how I'd written before and um, and kind of ran with that. Hmm. That's uh, interesting. And then they're, yeah. they're tighter yeah. and, you know, more structured in terms of formal elements. Yeah, one element I noticed that I, I never noticed, at least in previous books, a use of ellipsis, ellipses. Um, it <laughs> seems like you have a lot of poems that are full of those. And, and I don't know, have you written with those before and I just didn't notice? Or is that something new? And, and why No, did... that's pretty new. Yeah, that's pretty new. Um, just exploring that as a way of something different and, and as a way of creating pauses and creative si creating silence. And in the poem you mentioned, In Bed, those ellipses actually have ellipses, I guess you would say, have a particular... Thing uh, I, if you remember that 
if you ever used to go to Chinese restaurants and get the fortune cookies and play that game of where you would end the fortune you got with in bed, <laughs> like you would get a fortune that said you will meet many interesting people and go on many adventures. And we would add in bed. It was, you know, a thing we did as kids that we thought was really funny. And if you actually read that poem, there are a couple of lines that end with in bed. And then I leave it off. But every time you see an ellipsis, you could actually fill it in with in bed. Yeah, which is I, my little, little jokey thing that some people will get and some people won't. But in that case, it has a particular purpose to not repeat the the word the the phrase at the end of the line but to just you know it's sort of the ghost of it is there and the others are more for um just a way of making space without necessarily making a line break or a stanza break mm -hmm. yeah was that the first pro I, I noticed that and i was imagining um that if you do it at a reading you would be saying you know having the audience say the embeds out loud i could imagine it being performed that way um, I haven't done that. Of course, it's hard. It's hard to do on Zoom, but I love that idea. <laughs> um, I would just sort of visually like draw a line with my hand to let you know, like that was where the phrase ended, and that's where you could add it if you wanted to. So, was that the first poem that you used those in the the ellipses? No, it wasn't. Hmm. I can't remember which one it was first, but um, I just, you know, just wanted to to do something with it and you know Dennis Johnson occasionally uses them I might have gotten it from him because I was reading his uh, poems which I love I love him as a prose writer too but I also love his poetry and you know just any little thing like that that you sort of think huh wonder what I could do with that if I ran with it and and, and experimented with it mm -hmm. well do you want to read a couple more poems maybe two more for now sure um I will read, um, I'll read this poem called Animals, which is a, sort of an argument with Whitman's, uh, the section of, of Song of His Self, the Song of Myself, as it's called. I think I could turn and live with animals. They are so placid and self-contained. I stand and look at them long and long. They do not sweat and whine about their condition. I, I love that, but I argue with it in this piece. So, animals. Oh, Walt, you were wrong. They aren't placid or self-contained. I just watched a spoonbill make car carpaccio out of a frog and crocodiles dining on wildebeests trying to cross the Morrow River. It's wrong to say, oh, in poetry these days, which makes me want to have a loud orgasm right here in an unashamed animal way. You must have been looking at some cows on a farm, but who wants to live like that? standing around in a shed with sore tits, shitting claustrophobically, or standing around shitting and being tortured by flies and eating grass. I know you like grass, but it's no fun to be a pricey pre-hamburger, ruminating with no TV. If you'd had a cable subscription, maybe you would have felt differently, watching Nat Geo Wild and those exhausted herds on the Serengeti. Walt, I still love you, even if in this instance you might have been a victim of the pastoral tradition. Let me tell you about animals. The green anaconda swallowed the young capybara whole. Oh, 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 Walt, capybaras are the largest rodents on earth. I don't think I'd survive as an animal for long, even a large one. Look at the elephants. Imagine being murdered and becoming a doodad or furniture inlay. 
Walt, I actually like sweating and whining about my condition, hot flashing and bitching in my cream satin sheets, lying awake drunk and weeping in the dark. I definitely like to own more things. An electric knife sharpener, for instance, would come in handy for carving up the less fortunate on special holidays. I want to be lucky as long as I can. Walt, Walt, I don't think death is luckier or leads life forward like you said. I don't think I'm going to grow from the grass you love. I'm just going to have one last blackout in a dirty pink lace dress and be eaten by tiny, ugly, legless larvae. (laughs) And that was uh, Animals, the uh, third poem in from the book. Uh, Do you want to read another one? Yeah, I'll read this shorter one, which is a kind of a sonnet. And it's spoken in the voice of a white supremacist. It has the N-word in it, but I'm not going to use it. Grace. Let go and let God is my guard dog beware the ragged shithole hordes and bless my chrome molly bushmaster 223 rest your asses nowhere near my rod and staff. I raise my beacon hand and torch anyone who doesn't believe Jesus was calved from a virgin and then ascended to his penthouse and will wrapped her down to smite Jews, abortionists. Muslims, fags, Obama, the Antichrist. Satan was the first to demand equal rights outside the Knoxville Baptist Tabernacle. While a boy puts his tongue in another boy's mouth and they lie down together shy and barely breathing. And that was grace. And I just love that last, the turn of of, um, energy at that last couplet. That's such a great poem. I wanted to ask about... um, the, the use of the n-word in that poem and um do you want do you worry nowadays um about writing in other voices that's something that 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 more and more people have anxiety over and um you know the assumption maybe since you're kim Benicio, everyone knows that you're not a white supremacist uh, talking about those those things but but do you worry about using certain language in poems or do you not worry about that at all um yeah i have you know this is I mean, there, there. It's obviously a really complicated subject, and there's a lot about appropriation, which I, I don't know if you can appropriate upwards, so to speak, or laterally. I think it's generally, um, you know, when people are taking on the voices of others who are marginalized and um, people feeling that those other people are being silenced or not allowed to speak for themselves. Where in this case, I'm taking on just a persona of someone I'm not. Um, in many ways. But um, yeah, I have had some interesting and fruitful discussions about the use of that in this particular poem. Mm -hmm. And, um, and finally decided to leave it in, but not to read it. That was my solution. Um, But I, but I do feel that um, to say that something is can't be done in a work of art doesn't feel good to me. And I've, I've done a lot of reading over the past year, about all of the various, um, you know, the cultural moment we're in is a, is a particular kind of moment. And there's a, a lot of attention right now being paid to a lot of the systemic stuff that's been happening. And I've, I've been, you know, reading about that and thinking about that and thinking, what's my role in that? And, you know, what is my role as a white person to people of color? What is my role as a woman in this culture? Um, you know, what's my privilege and, and, and thinking about all those things. And, um, and I don't have any, any easy answers or solutions, but I do, 
I do believe that that there needs to be a space for dialogue around those things and not, um, I don't want to say cancel culture. Uh, I think both sides actually engage in that. You know, the right uses that as a buzzword for the left and the left uses it for the right. And those things are happening, I think, at the extremes of right wing and left. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that I don't, I, I think that that's something that we need to be able to dialogue about rather than attack each other over. And that's, I, I don't like seeing people attacked when they make a mistake, like misgendering someone. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's an excuse to pile on in social media, which is sometimes what happens. And I'm much more interested. But then again, I feel that like those extremes are about pushing the envelope and bringing us to a better place. And maybe if there weren't people pushing the envelope in that way, we might never find a place where we can all be together in. So there's a way that I appreciate that conversation and a way that I resist that conversation or, or that lack of conversation in favor of trying to see how we can sort of address that in ourselves and try to try to really dialogue about it. Yeah, really well said. Thanks for for going into detail about that. Um, the one thing that I loved, I, I was looking back at the interview we did last year, and I loved one of the things you said, where you said, um, um, "Writing a poem is like inventing a new universe from a blank page every time." And um, and and you mentioned that the poems in this new book, um, we're now getting now we're getting somewhere um, that they happen sort of spontaneously. Um, how do you, or like more spontaneously than previous books, I guess you said, um, how do you confront that blank page? Like, how do you start a poem? Is there a way you get into it? Uh, if I had an answer for that, I would be writing right now or right after we got off this call anyway. Um, you know, it's, it's, I have my ways, but they're never reliable. You know, it's just always, um, trying some doors and finally one gives and, and, and continuing to try basically. So, uh, reading is really important of course, and triggering myself through reading, which gives me an idea or a rhythm or an image that suddenly I uh, think about like some moment of local surprise that interests me, like the way someone makes a metaphor, for example, and then trying to reverse engineer that and figure out what they're up to and and how can I do that and how can I make my own version of that. So that's just both reading and then reading like a writer and, you know, trying to see what other people do that looks exciting and interesting and find my own way in. And as I said, it's not reliable at all. Mm-hmm. I You know, I can sit there for sometimes days and nothing happens. Yeah. Um, do you want to read another poem? Yeah. Sure. I try to keep uh, the pace going. Sure. People like hearing a yeah, lot of poems too. Yeah, and and thank you for that. That's that's great. This is another um, fourteen liner. Actually, it's a, a monorhyme sonnet. High desert, New Mexico. Temple of the rattlesnakes, religion, deluge and heat surge, crash of the atoms, rupture. Night blackens like a violin, and bright flower falls from the kitchens of heaven. This is where the seams begin to loosen, where you can walk for miles in any direction. Rabbit, lizard, raven, insect drone, and almost forget the shame of being human. Smoke tree, sage, not everything is broken. 
Horses appear at this remote cabin to stand outside and wait for you to come with a single apple. Abandon your despair. You who enter here forsaken, the wind is saying something. Listen. That was High Desert, New Mexico from Now We're Getting Somewhere. Um, we already have a lot of questions coming in over the chat window, so maybe get to a few of those. Um, uh, Gordon Capola asks, um, if you get more satisfaction out of leading a really good workshop or of writing a really good poem of your own? Oh, Gordon's a former student of Is mine. It? Hi, Gordon. Um, well, that's, you know, I, I do really enjoy teaching. I, you know, and I love talking about poems and going into people's poems and trying to help them find their way out of them, you know, um, but nothing beats the high of writing. I, you know, writing a poem is, is of course what, where I live. So, uh, it's fun to visit teaching, but it's not my home. And, and what's it, what, what is that high that you're, um, cause everybody I think feels that high. Um, yeah. what do you think the source, what is the, like the wellspring of that high that you get from writing? Like, is it discovering something new or is it, is it, is it a meditative thing? Where, where does the high come from? Do you think? Yeah, it's a, I think it's a, it's a zone, you know, it's like being in sports and being in the zone or meditation, or I think it's a, a, you know, kind of an eternal place. It's a place out of time. And when you're really involved in it or in any activity, but especially it feels creative activities, if you're really involved in it, there is no more time. And, and that's one of the things I love about it. Um, and, and since uh, since workshops came up and, and your students, one of the things that um, you know, I've been leading a, a doing a critique of the week on Fridays on live stream video, and I and we do it around when we um, we started it around when we did your um, interview, um, talking about how you approach workshops. So I was thinking a lot about that as I've been doing them, and one of the things that you talk about a lot is um, how a poem um, needs to go deeper. And it's sort of just a lot of times poems are just telling the sort of the anecdote or the story that happened without going deeper. And that's something that comes up a lot in these workshops. But I'm not really sure how, like what advice to give people. How do you encourage people? First of all, what do you think you mean by deeper? Like what, what do we mean when we say a poem needs to go deeper? And then how do you get people and your, your students to, to go deeper with a poem? Yeah, it's funny, you know, I, I just got invited to teach uh, next January at the Palm Beach Poetry Festival, which is going to be virtual again, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, but but that led me into sort of looking at all their YouTube videos. And I, I was it, I uh, watching one by Linda Gregg that was talking all about magic and the invisible. And I was thinking, why don't I talk more about magic and the invisible? I'm so craft oriented. You know, I, I believe in that stuff. Absolutely. And I don't tend to talk about that in and yet what's missing sometimes from students poems is that sense of magic or the invisible and it is merely anecdotal and um but i guess if i dive deeper what i mean is further investigation mm -hmm. you know find a further thought find a further feeling ask for more than i love braiding my daughter's hair or, you know, like, okay, that's great. And, and what else is there? Like, like a lot of times I think people tell their story and it's very narrative and they can't find a theme or they don't know how to draw out of it 
what is really the story, the reason, the reason the story is being told, and and finding some kind of central theme, or I call it the spine, I call it the skeleton, I call it the heart of the poem. A lot of body imagery, but we're trying to embody something that can't be embodied, right? We're trying to say something. Donald Hall call it the unsayable said. We're trying to address the ineffable, and there are no words. But we have some words, and we're trying to shoot little arrows at it. So how do you get closer to the mark? And that's, you know, so, um, yeah, You and you can't exactly, you can't create a sensibility in someone. I mean, but maybe you can help them access their own sensibility. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. I think that partly is what go deeper means for me. How do you get to the next level, the next statement beyond the predictable, beyond what we know into something that's that's more mystery without really confusing the reader? Do you think that has to do with uh, the sense of what a turn is and, and how poems need to have a sense of motion or, or change? Um, yeah. Absolutely. I talk about that a lot. The book I that really turned me on to all this stuff, so to speak, was Structure and Surprise by Michael Tooney, Engaging Poetic Turns is the subtitle. And it's a really wonderful book about poetic structure. And, uh, you know, we know the turn from the sonnet, right? And I love teaching the sonnet because it has sort of an argument or a theme built into it and a place to go. Start out with something and then do something different after the first eight lines. Um, but of course, po- turns are everywhere in poems and in all kinds of places for all kinds of reasons. So the more you notice that and look at that, the more you can begin to see maybe what you could do with your poem to engineer a turn if it doesn't have one and begin to think in that way about going someplace the poem hasn't been and taking us someplace new. Do you think a poem has to have a turn? Um, because I, I always think about a poem as a sort of transformational magic spell or something, and and if it doesn't turn, it doesn't mean it means there's no like sense of movement. And then if it doesn't move itself, how can it move you? Is kind of how I think of it. Do you think it's possible? Has there ever been a poem written that works without a turn that you can think of? You know, I was about to say the red wheelbarrow, but I think the turn is between the title and the first line. So much depends upon, and that is just a straight. You know, it's an images poem. It's an image, and and of course there are writers who feel that the image is enough. Um, but I, I, and there probably are poems without turns. But but I think most poems um, benefit <laughs> from having that, so it, so that they do a little more than they might do otherwise to take us somewhere. Um, there was another question. I'm trying to find it. Somebody asked. Um... Uh, I can't find it again to see who it was. Uh, somebody asked, though, if you, in writing um, in form, I think in sonnets they mentioned, um, do you find um, a sense of discovery through the form? Like, is there is there a way that you couldn't have written the poem without the form? Is that something that you find that happens when you're writing a sonnet? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're you're trying to get a rhythm if you're working in, in a meter, or you're trying to get to a rhyme. Or you have to get something done in 14 lines. So you have to get to the heart of the matter. You have to get in, get out. You can't just sort of wander all over trying to make your point or figure out what you're trying to, you know, what have you come there to say? So, um, yeah, certain forms I just love. And the sonnet is certainly one of them. And that compression also, that limit is a great, um, the imagination loves limits. 
because it immediately begins to figure out a way to get around them or subvert them. Yeah, exactly. Really well put. Um, talking about that um, sort of the, the more magic, I guess, maybe, Jay Sizemore asks, do you buy much into the concept of writing as a conduit for some creative force? Or do you more believe that you are in control of your own creativity? It's an interesting question because I've had some, even on this Rattlecast, I've had some arguments with people who, um, who think that they're, they're completely in control and know what they're doing at all times. And that, that, that other poets seem to think that they're not in control at all. And it just completely runs through them like the voice of some kind of supernatural force or something. Where do you fall on that spectrum? Well, I think pretty much a bit of both. Uh, I, I think you are tapping into something that feels very much invisible in that sense that we, I can't, I don't really know where it comes from, but I do also believe that the artist has intent and that there's a balance between the wildness and the control. And, um, and that's what produces the art, you know, too much wildness and there's no coherence. And, and even, even John Cage set limits you know what is it four minutes 33 seconds for the piano piece that was his control wasn't much <laughs> but whatever happened within that was the piece so he was working with that concept of chaos and order and i think all poems and all art is a negotiation between chaos and order yeah um do you want to uh read the next poem that you wanted to share yeah okay let's see um i will read wolf song at the party, they're all wearing swan suits. The fur on your back thickens. You're slicked against the wall of the flow-through kitchen between your ex and his girlfriend. You'd still like to devour him as you once did, but you are trying to become human. Though also you are starving, sick of scavenging nuts and berries, gnawing the occasional biscuit. You want to take down a caribou. You want to tackle a moose and rip open the flap of skin swaying beneath its throat and share it with the next wolf to trot by. But here there are no wolves. Through the kitchen window fangs the moon to fuck you up even more, to send you slathering away past the condo community, past the lit houses, into the deep woods. Where there's a moon, there's always a deep woods. And that was Wolf Song. Do you want to do the next one, too? Yeah. This is where the title of the book comes from. It's called Small Talk. Let's skip it and get straight to the rabid dog at hand. This is some weather we're cowering from. Would you please touch my face like a blind person? I feel like a giraffe in a parking garage. Let's skip it and get straight to the death smell coming from behind the refrigerator. Can I offer you something more subtly evocative of the underlying theme of your life story? How many self-important wounds do you have? Everything you say is tiresome. I'm going to walk away slowly and not look back. Now we're getting somewhere. And that was a small talk. The title poem from Kim Adonizio's new book, Now We're Getting Somewhere. Um, that poem made me think about poetry in a different way, maybe I never had before. Do you think um, poets all hate small talk? Do you think poetry is sort of, in a way, the opposite of small talk? And, and one of the things poetry is doing is, is getting to the deep talk or, or something like that. I know... Um, I 
yeah, like Jack Grapes, uh, who's a poet down here in L.A. who teaches a lot of workshops. Yeah, I know Jack. Yeah, yeah. He um, talks about the deep voice, which is sort of, and, and you, you sort of find that deep voice, which is like finding the deeper place we were talking about before. And in a way, it's sort of the opposite of small talk, isn't it? It's like sk- skipping the stuff that doesn't mean anything and getting right to the meaning. Um, yeah, well, there's so much staticky stuff in life, you know, and so many ways to cover over what really matters and what's really important. And I think poetry is one of the places we go for that stuff that's beyond the the mundane, you know, or you're within the mundane in some way. Yeah, absolutely. But I believe that. How, how do you think that um, is evolving? You know, as we get more, we sort of are losing social skills in favor of the phone and the internet. You know, I, I have um, small kids and it just in the space of the 10 years they've been growing up, it gets harder to talk to people just at the playground, you know, like other parents, um, you know, because everybody's just on their phone and nobody engages with the world anymore. And in a way, poetry is sort of, you know, being present in, the, in a moment, I guess, is what poetry is all about. Do you think there's maybe some deeper need for poetry that the world is missing or something? Or, um, or do you think that's sort of just wishful thinking? I don't know. I mean, you know, because we're poets and we spend a lot of time with poetry, of course, we believe everybody needs poetry on one level, but I don't really think that's true. I think we need art. I need. I think we need some sense of, I don't know, the, the, calling it the sacred makes, makes poetry sound unnaturally lofty when it's not at all. But, but I think we need more presence in our lives we need more connection we need more connection with the things that matter and and the arts are a place we go to that so is the natural world you know food can be that as well you know um so it's i think it's about how we approach the world in the end and i don't believe everybody needs to read poetry just like i don't believe everybody needs to listen to opera myself being one of those people who doesn't need to listen to opera you know i mean so an opera singer of course or a librettist would feel as though the whole world needs that probably i I don't think we do but we need something and everybody finds different things that satisfy that need Mm -hmm. but that's so sad about your kids on the ground I mean, they're all just sitting there looking at their phones, I imagine. Yeah, well, that's what the other parents are doing is the kids are playing, yeah. you know, like uh, just yeah. really when my, my daughter, who's 11 now, was, was like four, um, you know, you, you know, parents were still interacting with each other and, and chit-chatting. And then you'd, and I'd always try to go into some interesting um, non-small talk topic if you could get anybody to do it, which is hard these days. But, but nowadays you can't even engage really because everybody's just got their phone and they're, right. I don't know what even they're doing. I try to like sneak over to look at what they're even doing on their phone. Cause I don't even understand yeah. it, but, um, but maybe they're listening to a poetry podcast. It, it could be. Yeah. Um, sort of along those lines, Michael Mark um, over on YouTube asked um, how social media, the intense speed of it is affecting today's poetry. Speed seems in contrast with deepness. Do, do you think that, that the, the fact that poems live a lot online uh, is affecting the way we write or, or not? I guess depends on what you mean by we, you know, I mean, there are Instagram poets who are very much about that, the moment and the quick response, you know, I, I don't know. I think that in a lot of ways, social poems that spread on social media, I think they have an immediate sort of impact in some way, but then also they, so, so that's sort of that, 
horizontal movement, but then if it's a good poem, it also has a, a vertical movement. And somebody may see something on social media and then they might download it or, or screenshot it and think about it or keep it with them and or remember it at some point when they need it. So it, it's definitely a means of, of dissemination and, and distribution and spreading things around. Um, and then, then I guess it can be whatever it means to each individual, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, do you want to read another poem? Sure. Okay. Um, let's see. How are we doing on time? Oh, we have about 20 minutes left. Okay. So we've got, we've got plenty of time. Yeah. Um, I'll do this one. People you don't know. You have no idea what's inside them. Slipped gears and downed wires, rotted out floor planks, maybe anemones, maybe a billion spiral galaxies. There's the famously beautiful, famous poet you once saw through an open bathroom door, projectile vomiting into a sink before the door swung closed again. You're afraid to open that box case of wine, certain a mouse got trapped inside, but it's only styrofoam rubbing against more styrofoam, like the sex you used to have with people you didn't know. Some people smile when they hate you. Racking sobs are usually a good indication they've been gutted by fire. Liars are supposed to be betrayed by the direction their eyes dart, but good liars know this, so the truth is anyone's guess. Eye contact may be indicative of rudeness, or the early delusional phase of love, the early delusional phase of love, the early delusional phase of love. When a woman at a party says, I like your necklace, a multiverse of possible interpretations yawns open like a meat-eating plant. Sometimes it's better to stay in the lobby where the bar is, so as not to discover the creeping mold in a room with a parking lot view. Then again, if that stranger absorbing vodka a few stools down would only glance your way and give you a sign, you just might go there. And that was uh, People You Don't Know from Now We're Getting Somewhere, Kim's newest book from Norton that just came out. In the interview that we did last year, uh, you mentioned um, that you, you used to feel very ambitious and that you don't feel quite so ambitious anymore. You were talking about like, you know, your younger students and how much they need to get published and and how much you um, were sort of driven by that before, but now that you don't have the same ambitions. Can you just talk a little bit about what you meant by that? Um, how don't you feel ambitious anymore? Well, I guess I'm, maybe I'm ambitious in different ways. I don't know. I I'm just ambitious now to write the next poem and make it be a good poem. Um, I think when I was younger, you know, of course, like all young writers and young artists and, uh, you know, you want to prove yourself, you want to get some validation, you want to have a sense that what you're doing might matter to someone somewhere. And, and then once you have that validation, you probably want more validation. <laughs> And, you know, you get a poem published and then you want to get it published in a better journal. You get it published in a better journal and then you want a chapbook. You get a chapbook, you want a book, you want it to win an award. I mean, it's endless, right? You can just go on and on trying to suck up your ego, trying to get everything it can. And, 
you know, if you, sooner or later you realize that that's not the game, that's not the interesting part of the game. The interesting part of the game is trying to do something meaningful with your life and with your purpose in life, whatever that is. And, um, and so I, I feel like I, I've proved enough things in terms of publishing books and, and I, I want to just, you know, I like being a beginner at things now. I'm learning the banjo and I just really like learning these little banjo rolls and moves, you know, I'm not trying to become anything with it. I'm not, you know, I, I sort of, and, and I feel the same way about writing. I'm not trying to get anywhere. Now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> it's a, an ironic title and then it's a realistic title or a, a true title and then it flips back into irony again. But, um, you know, I've kind of realized there's nowhere to get to. And, and here we are. And, and, you know, and you do feel as you get older, you really do feel the cliche that life is short. And you begin to say, well, what do I want to do with my life? And, and how can I, how can I make myself happy? And how can I give something to other people that will make, make this weird place a better place to be in for as long as we're here? Yeah. Uh, do you remember the first poem that you wrote that, um, that sort of worked on that magical level that we were talking about that where you, um, sort of, sort of hit something that you did that surprised you and that, that, you know, and is that when you fell in love with writing? When you did you do you remember the first poem you wrote that worked? Not really. Um, you know, I reading was what made me fall in love with writing rather late in life, with writing poetry anyway. In my late twenties was when I fell in love with poetry and started really reading it. But writing it, I. I think it's tied up with actually the validation of having my first poem published in the English department journal, you know, at my school and, um, and feeling like that was, um, a real poem and feeling glad that the, the English department had thought so too. And then I actually read it to my father who'd, who'd been laid up with se uh, several strokes and had trouble moving and was partly paralyzed. And I read him that poem because my father was a sports writer, so writing was in his blood. And I read him that poem and said, Dad, I got this poem published. And he literally hauled himself up with the, the arm that could that worked and pointed at me and said, Write and fell back on the pillows. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was a you know, and that was shortly before he died. And that was just a moment for me that I always remembered, and um, and so I guess that was both validation in a sense of that this was something I I could do and wanted to keep doing. Um, I'm trying to find some other questions here. Um, through all that, so many people are just loving your poems in this new book, um, and so many great um, great lines and and everything that everybody's talking about. Um, Mary Bade Carr asks about how you feel about um, Sadanizios in other after poems. I'm not sure what uh, that exactly means, how you feel about them, but, but how do you feel about them? Well, I mean, I invented the Sananizio <laughs> and I was happy to invent a form. Um, so I'm not sure what after poems, I mean, it does use a line by Michael Drayton to start off, so there's that. Um, and the whole thing is, is, is an after poem in the sense that Billy Collins wrote his Paradell um, early on the form he invented, but he gave it a sort of provenance and invented where it had come from. And I, like many 
naive readers thought that that's actually where it had come from. <laughs> and that was the joke. And once I got the joke, I thought it was really funny. And I decided to create my own sort of form that also had a, a made up source. Um, Do you want to explain the rules of the, the Sananizio uh, for people who don't know? God, I, I have to try to remember them. Uh, it begins with a line by someone else. It's 14 lines long, like a sonnet. Um, it ends with a rhymed couplet. And it has to repeat a word in the first line in, in, the, in the other 13 lines. So mine was, um, since there's no help, come let us kiss and part, was the Michael Drayton line. And so the word part appears in every line, and then it ends with that rhymed couplet. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's weird. There's so many uh, comments about people who love your your book or you know the poems that you've been reading that I'm having trouble finding uh, other comments I've seen float by. Um, do you want to read another poem? We have about sure. uh, 15 minutes left, maybe. Sure. I'll read. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read one I wasn't planning to, just because we have a little time and it's a bit longer. Called Archive of Recent Uncomfortable Emotions, and it's on page 63, Tim, if you're looking for the page. Because um, I know you wanted to know where the poems yeah. were. Archive of Recent Uncomfortable Emotions. The this haircut makes me feel ugly feeling. The however much I drink, I can't pretend it's love feeling. The strangled by the foul and ugly mists of vapors and iambic pentameter feeling. The everything I write is shit feeling. The I'm sorry I gave you those blowjobs and did you not understand the meaning of reciprocal feeling. The it's not my birthday anymore, I'm just older feeling. The looking at x-rays of my teeth feeling. I went to the dentist today, as a matter of fact. The something died in your eyes and I can smell it feeling. The literary recognition might be just another shiny object feeling. The darkling I listen and right now I think it would be kind of cool to die feeling. The Keats is dead feeling. The Leonard Cohen is dead feeling. The blank and blank and my blank are also quite dead feeling. The I am Jean Rees getting blotto in a dismal room in Paris with black specks on the wall feeling. The maybe I'm just getting blotto feeling. The trees are no longer my friends feeling. The my friends are no longer my friends feeling. The once I was a 19th century Russian novel, but now I'm a frozen chicken entree feeling. The I can always return this feeling in the prepaid envelope provided feeling. The I am the prepaid envelope feeling. Yeah, and that was, uh, that was, uh, where was it? Archive of Recent Uncomfortable Emotions uh, from Now We're Getting Somewhere, the newest book by Kim Ananizio. Um Kim, who are you uh, reading lately these days? Like who, are there any poets that you could uh, sort of plug that have been uh, turning it on for you um, just as a reader uh, over the last couple of years? Um, well, I, I often mention Dean Young, who I've been reading consistently and been inspired by for a few years now. Um, so he's definitely one. Diane Seuss, really interested in her work. She has a new book out called Frank Sonnets that's wonderful. Um, and along with that form of the sonnet, which is a you know modern sonnet, not necessarily rhymed and metered, but a 14-liner where something happens, um, Terence Hayes's 
American Sonnets for My Past and Future Assassin. I've been making my way through very slowly because there's so much going on and so much energy coming off the lines that um, I, I need to take it slowly and kind of think about it. And um, so I, those are some writers I can name. Dennis Johnson is a writer that I go back to. I mean, I used to read his prose a lot to help improve my sentences. And um, but I'm in a poetry mode and have been for a while. So I'm so I go back to his work and reread it. Um, God, who else? And then uh, so much just skimming and skipping around. You know, I've got piles of, like everyone, piles of books everywhere, stuff on my Kindle and um, stuff I read online. And that might send me into reading some writer I've never heard of. But I, those are the writers that come immediately to mind. Do you think this is the, the best age for a, a poetry lover that we're living in right now? Because there are so many great poets in so many great different directions. Um, do you do you think that, that it's the golden age, that we're, that we're at the peak or at the height of um, what poetry can do? No idea. I, I don't think I can, I can comment <laughs> intelligently on a survey of the landscape. You know, I'm not a surveyor. I'm more sort of like looking out my window. Yeah, and seeing what I can see in the local stuff that I can see there. Uh, there's a little follow-up question to what we were talking about earlier uh, from Warren Nedvordnik. Uh, he asks, has writing uh, gotten easier as you shifted your focus from publication to just writing the next poem? Um, do, you, and, and do you think in terms of books at all? Or, or do you just write whatever you're writing in the moment and then think of a book later? I guess it's a follow-up question, too. Um. I was just saying about the thing of have I shifted my focus? Wasn't my focus always right? I mean, my focus was always writing the next poem. But yeah, I guess obviously when I was unpublished, my my focus was publication. <laughs> you know, will I ever have a book? Will I ever, you know, am I any good? All of the self-doubt and stuff that goes along with that. But, um, but since then, I, you know, I don't think they don't seem to get any easier to write. It goes back to sort of, you know, knocking on all those doors and they don't open. Um, so they're not easier to write. They probably my early drafts are better than they used to be because I have more knowledge and more skills that I can draw on, you know, even for an early draft. So I may be able to finish a poem sooner than I once could. Um, was there another part of that question? Um, I think that's it. I think we got it. Um, so Jay Sizemore asks, um, Keats uh, makes several appearances in this collection. Is there any particular reason for that? And I noticed that too. Yeah. Yeah, just because I, uh, you know, so does the word shit, unfortunately, <laughs> which I didn't notice until it was all the times you proof a manuscript and look it over and find the mistakes and get iterations of it. I didn't notice that I use that word more often than I than I now wish I had. Um, uh, but Keats, I'm happy to to, you know, that's why I wrote this poem called I Can't Stop Loving You, John Keats, because I. I just kind of committed to it finally, <laughs> you know, he was just one of the earlier writers that um, blew me away that I read, not understanding, but feeling like I had entered some different space in the world. And, um, and then uh, going there, you know, going to Italy where I teach sort of every other summer, I do a um, writing retreat there. And, um, and every time we, we do a sort of pilgrimage to the Keats Shelley house in Rome and go to his grave and read poems over the poets' graves who are buried there. So, um, so he's just always been sort of one of those lights for me that still shining. 
Um, well, we have a couple minutes left. Do you want to read? I think you had like three or so poems left on the list here. Do you want to read like two of them to close yeah. out the show? Yeah, I'll read X and then I'll read the last poem in the book. This is X, E-X. When I think about him now, I think about the money he stole from me. I remember the mice in his couch and the dying fish in his aquarium. And also feeling like a gilded royal barge was ceremoniously moving through my blood. While LED snow fell theatrically in the folds of my brain. I remember thinking nothing could ruin our love, which is what everyone thinks at first. But it turns out everyone is wrong. Some things are destined to be ruined. Cheap dresses, student housing, self-esteem, romantic projections, ice sculptures of dead jazz musicians turning to mush in the rain. Some of the fish did themselves in, leaping out past the filter and over the edge. Others just flipped over and floated up and started looking kind of shredded. Mostly I think about how little I think about him now. Like it was just some decorative saltwater display in an overpriced lobby. Or a hangover I sweated out in a single low-impact cardio weight routine. When once he was the creature who swallowed me whole in a huge, religiously significant way. And that was X. Um, and then you want to finish up with stay? Yeah, stay. So your device has a low battery and seems to drain faster each day. Maybe you should double your medication. You might feel queasy, but also as if the spatula flattening you to the fry pan has lifted a little. So your breath comes out scorched. So what? Inside, trust me on this, there's a ribbon of beach by a lake. In the sand, fragments of a fossilized creature resembling a tulip. Back in the Paleozoic, online wasn't invented yet, so everyone had to wander alone and miserable through the volcanic wastes or just glue themselves to a rock, hoping someone would pass by. Now you can sob to an image of your friend a continent away and be consoled. Please wait for the transmissions, however faint. Listen, when a stranger steps into the elevator with a bouquet of white roses not meant for you, they're meant for you. Yeah, and that was Stay, the last poem from Now We're Getting Somewhere, Kim Anitsu's newest book. And I just love that last line. It's such a great way to end a book on a on just a, such an uplifting and, and fascinating thought. Um, great image there to end on thanks for being a guest today kim it's always a pleasure reading and, and every time a book comes in the mail from from uh, your publisher i just get excited i get to read a new book and i'm glad uh, we get to share it with everybody listening and watching at home thanks so much thanks for having me really appreciate it yeah my pleasure good night okay and that was kim adonizio and her new book as you mentioned is now we're getting somewhere um, it's a little washed out on the on the document cam view on the cover well if i Get a little too much light. It's a glossy. Now we're getting somewhere. You can see the cover um, of Kim Ananizio's newest book from Norton. And you can find more of Kim's work, of course, at um, kimananizio.com, which um, is spelled uh, like you would expect, or looking at the cover, K-I-M-A-D-D-O-N-I-Z-I-O.com. That's kimadonizio.com. 
our guest tonight, and really a pleasure listening to those new poems and um, insights from Kim. Just one of my favorite poets, and really wonderful getting to talk to her. So glad you could join us for that. Now, we're going to be going to the open lines for the second hour, as we always do. And uh, the prompt for this week, if anybody would like to participate um, in the prompt, if you have a prompt poem, the prompt was right here. It was to, um, oops, it was to, get that write a poem that contains the following randomly selected adjectives large naughty salty so that was your prompt for this week and um the open lines are anything you'd like though if you'd like to share a poet respond poem if you'd like to share something that you published recently if you have a link uh, you can do that the best way to do that is to um let me put up the numbers on screen before we go to um our view this is uh so email the poem or the, a link to the poem to openmic at rattle.com right now so I can show it on screen as you read it. And then how you join in the calling list. So we have Gordon Coppola, we have a Judith, we have Tony Clark, Angela Gartner, Brent Stoffer, Narshanti, Navita Karthik are all lined up already. A Julian M. So we have a whole bunch of people lined up already. Um, email your poem if you haven't yet that you'd like to share. One poem, and I'm going to have to say there's like a, maybe a three-page limit on a poem, something like that. Um, to open mic at rattle.com. That's open M-I-C at rattle.com. Then pick one or the other. If you'd like to appear on video over Skype, send me a chat message on Skype to rattle poetry, all one word. Um, and then I will just wave back when you say hi, and that's how you get onto the call list. Uh, then if you'd like to be on the phone instead and just have your voice, uh, it's 818-850-7727. That's 818-850-7727. Just let it ring a few times and then hang up. Uh, Howard Debs just uh, sent me a message so i accepted and waved back hello to howard debs so we got a lot of people on the on the uh, open lines call list right now and i'm just going to get a little stuff prepared and then i will uh, stretch my legs get all the uh, poems ready and we'll share some poems for the next hour so give me about 30 seconds but before we do let me tell you who next week's guest is it's going to be eugenia lee now that's a cast number 89 eugenia's book is blood sparrows and sparrows now, that's a few years old. Uh, she was the winner of the 2013 Neil Postman Award for Metaphor. And uh, really looking forward to talking to her. He did a po- she has a poem in the newest issue of Rattle, Rattle number 71. So we'll be talking to her next week. Um, and I'm going to just stand up and stretch and get the uh, open lines set up. And then I will be back in a minute or 30 seconds, maybe. Okay. back thanks so much for your patience and let me uh, move around a little bit um, now as i mentioned the prop for this week was to let me make this a little it was a little small before i'm gonna make it a little bigger this was to um write a poem that contains the following randomly selected adjectives large naughty and salty and uh megan megan always makes these prompts of course and she just used a random adjective generator on a website somewhere to pick those random adjectives and my poem, I had a short poem here. This is Ghost Forest. And, uh, oops, hang on. Ghost Forest. And these are, uh, if you don't know what a ghost forest is, uh, that's where the sea level is rising 
And so um, coming into the, the coastal forests, especially it's happening a lot in the North Carolina, the southeast United States area, partly because the whole uh, North American plate is tipping uh, as the weight from the old uh, ice caps is no longer there. So it's tipping back and sinking in that southeast area. So there's all these forests where the trees are just all dead. And uh, as the sea level comes up and rises, also through climate change, of course, um, that's what's going on. And so there are these ghost forests of just empty, dead stumps. And that's what the three words made me think of. And so here's my ghost forest poem. Ghost forest. The large, knotty stumps march through the marsh, so slow their movements can't be seen. Ironwood, live oak, red maple, wading stroke by stroke over the beach grass, the sand, until they leave the land completely, shedding limbs like clothes and heaps of driftwood. And it might not seem like drowning, but for the salty sheen on their now white trunks, showing still how hard they're sucking at the sea. That was Ghost Forest, my little prompt poem for this week. And this is Megan's prompt poem, Mysterious Ways. I can't lie. A lie from the pit of hell the preacher spits. Though I've never been religious, I've always liked watching Christian TV. I like the theater of it, the vaudevillian ooze of it, the way the men mop their sweating brows when they say, please, please help today. I like the large gold curtains, the plush red rugs, the women with blonde hair piled up to heaven. I don't like the commercials for bottled holy water or the astounding and undeniable truth that there are people who call that number, check the mail every day waiting for that little bottle of salty tap water. Can I blame them? When my infant went listless with fever, I paced the kitchen and prayed out loud, hoping desperation would suffice as a substitute for faith. It's that old, naughty question, are there atheists in foxholes? Maybe a last-ditch prayer is just a what-the-hell, like when you need three diamonds and you get a heart and a spade, but you pull the handle one more time. You can tell I grew up churchless when I'm mixing gambling and Jesus, but what I mean is that maybe there's some deep-down reptile brain need to wait out impossibility, roll faceless dice. Maybe it's the same urge that keeps me laughing at these Bible-juggling magicians, their empty promises and cheap toupees, hoping nobody notices my shaking hands, tucking an ace up my sleeve. That was Megan's prompt poem for this week. Another great one from Megan, Mysterious Ways. Uh, now let's see what you have for us. And you don't have to, like I said, it doesn't have to be based on this week's prompt. You can share anything you'd like. You can share a recently published poem. You can share a poem about current events. Uh, we have yeah, we have Tony Clark joined in too. I'm going to go to the first time callers. Well, well, we have time for everybody. I think I'm going to go to um, a regular just so you can see how it works if you're a first timer. And I'm going to call up Angela Gartner first. And um, when I call, just to let you know if it's the first time you've been on, I'm going to call you and I'm going to be calling from the future. There's a 30 second delay on the stream. So it'll be confusing. So make sure that you hang up or at least mute the stream, the video that you're watching right now, and just talk to me over Skype or the phone, okay? So here comes Angela Gardner. We'll see what uh, Angela has for us today. Hey, Tim. <laughs> hey, Angela. How you doing? Listen to Megan's phone, poem, so. <laughs> yeah, maybe the delay is a little longer than we thought. 
Yeah, it's so good though. She's so good. Like both of you are, but she is. Well, you can say it's she's better than me. It's just true. Yeah. That's why I fell in love with her. We met on a poetry workshop and uh she was good. That's <laughs> so, adorable. <laughs> um let's see, Angela. I'm trying to find your poem. Let me see. There's actually um I was just about to send it to you real quick. It's actually I just, you know, usually I'm so good about these prompts, but I just couldn't do one today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I haven't been able to be on Poets Respond because I I usually have a, I'm starting to go back to our Sunday dinner. So, um, so I was wanting to see if I can um, read Given Freedom. I know it's kind of a... A little older, but I I don't know what else to do with it um, otherwise. So sure, is that something you sent or submitted? I'm just I just I submitted it to you okay. um, in poets respond, but I just resent it to you, so you don't have to find it. Okay, just make it make your life easier, a little. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Um, actually, I have it quicker on. Um, I found it quicker before the email on uh, oh, submittable, okay. <laughs> so I have well, it right here. <laughs> okay, and so what was this about? Well, it was about um, the ship that got stuck in the canal, and I thought it was, um, I don't know, I was just thinking what a great metaphor that was for even COVID and what was going on. You know, it was just such a big event, Um, the ship getting stuck, and global trade was stopped, and, you know, and it, but it's, it's like, I felt like, you know, we were all, it, it's kind of like, it's what's been going on um, in COVID, you know, like everything stopped and, you know, we're all stuck until we get the vaccine and everything. So it just, you know, I kind of wrote it as some, as somebody on the ship and I kind of did it both like about the ship and then kind of about COVID too. Very cool. Well, let's hear it. It is a great metaphor for, for the last year. And, and yeah, it definitely is. Let's, let's hear it. Given freedom. I hear the wind against my window. It's blowing in every direction. Piercing voices scream at us in the canal. There are crashes of glass in the distance. Steel machinery is grinding its wheels. Ropes on the bow is tugging an alarm. The engine reverses in resistance. It's payment for the winter storm. Ripple of waves soothes the rocky ship and the crewmates who are sick. Among a few, they saw relief, but frowns and hopelessness didn't lift. Tired, I wrung my hands in desperation. The rumors of an end is circulating. In the clearing of sword skies, a cold pinch went into my arm. The global crisis which was made, I took solace as the boat drifted away. Hauling shit that moves as fast as we are set afloat in open waterways. Excellent. Thanks. And you even got the shit that uh, Kim and Anitio had. <laughs> I know. I, 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 you know, I don't usually swear in my poems. It just, you know, I just, you know, I don't know. I just was, I, I kind of thought maybe I shouldn't put it in, but I'm like, ah, you know, screw it. <laughs> well, a, it was a good time for it. It worked. So, so yeah. thanks for sharing that, Angela. Thank you. Have a great night. You too. Thanks. Good night. So that was Angela Gartner with Given Freedom. And now for your new callers, you see how that works. Um, So I'm going to call up. I'm going to focus on new callers for a little bit because we have a bunch of them today. Oh, here. This is the text of a poem by Judith. But I'll call up uh, first. I'm going to call up uh, Gordon Coppola, who is, uh, of course, a wonderful Rattle Poetry Prize finalist poem. 
hearing that. I hear myself in the background, Gordon. So mute yourself, mute mute the stream before I bring your audio on. I think that's good. Yep. Okay, we're good. Hey, Gordon, how you doing? I am well, Tim. Nice, to, nice to finally uh, speak to you. Yeah, it's great to see you for the first time. We, I love, uh, I love that poem that we published yours. It's just a wonderful, wonderful poem. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and uh, what do you want to share tonight? Well, I did a, a prompt poem, uh, and actually, it was the word "naughty" that got me into it. I, I thought of Gordian knot, and uh, and that brought me to Aristotle. And so the poem actually begins with a with a, an epigraph. Uh, which is a, a quote from uh, 2,500 years ago, uh, King Philip II to his son Alexander, who was uh, 10 at the time, uh, about 346 B.C., and he said, My boy, you must find a kingdom large enough for your ambitions. Macedon is too small for you. Uh, so the poem is titled, Aristotle Brags on His Best Student. In return for teaching Alexander, Ethical philosophy, the Iliad, morals and logic, generous King Philip rebuilt my old hometown, which he had also raised, that's true, but salty, I'm not. Repopulating Stagira by buying and then freeing friends and neighbors who Philip had enslaved in a previous adventure. Alexander gets elevated to regent at 16. Sadly, my tutoring service ends, but I follow his career with avid pride. When faced by naughty problems, say a puzzle tangled tied by Gordius, king of Phrygia, our Alexander demonstrates that the ultimate solution for political persuasion is a hacking sword, razor sharp. Rename your city after him, now proven 20 times, and Alexander the Great will be generous. Maybe massacre your men of military age a little less, which is great, while selling fewer of your kids and women into slavery. Sweet deal, also great. Did I forget to mention that he's great? So great. <laughs> a darkly humorous poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Gordon. Um, let me ask, uh, you know, I assumed that uh, you were a, a formalist because that that poem you sent that sonnet is such a good sonnet do you usually write in uh form or do you write in uh free verse as well like what do you think uh what's the percentage i, I would say probably by now about two to one free verse over form although i think most people who are like maybe like have studied poetry would consider that even my free verse stuff uses so many elements of of form of of craft you know, I, I do a lot of my favorite stuff is a lot of it is still in iambic pentameter, although mm -hmm. this this isn't. You know, I, I spent a lot of uh, time and effort working on uh, uh, sounds uh, matter a lot to me. Uh, line endings matter a lot. So even my favorite stuff, I think, is is pretty formal. I, I love I love formal stuff. Uh, and actually, I started this poem out in, in blank verse, uh, but it, it, it wanted to expand and go in directions that I. Did not anticipate in any way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I noticed. It felt like felt like blank, like a poet that couldn't help it, you know, <laughs> like the, the the form is in there in your soul or whatever. So I was so glad to you get to see it for the first time, Gordon. It's really nice. I'm glad you could uh, join the open lines. Well, thanks so much, Tim. Yep, my pleasure. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, great. Bye. Bye. And that was Gordon Capola with uh, with Aristotle Braggs on his best student. 
Uh, let's see, who should we go to next? We have a 580 number. I'm going to go to, let me see, I think I'm going to jump over to Nivedita so we can catch her. She's in India before she goes to work this morning. Hopefully we can catch Nivy. Then we'll go back to the first time callers. We should have time for, for everybody, but let's see how it goes. Hello. Hey, Nivedita, how you doing today? Hey, Tim. I'm doing great, thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. So glad you could join us. Uh, what do you have to share today? From Poem, as always. Okay. Um, oops, uh-oh. I have to log in now. It, it, they picked this time <laughs> to kick me out. <laughs> okay. So let me log back in. Just one second. You tell, what, what is your, uh, is there anything you can say about the poem while I try to log back in? So I have actually decided to write a poem, poem titled Me. Um, not basically me, but it's about everybody here. So it is um, sort of like, I use the three words to sort of describe how people are themselves and about how others around them don't really perceive us for the ways we are, like how complex we are inside, but then the world just doesn't perceive that. So I use these three adjectives in the poem in that sort of a manner. Very nice. Well, I'm so glad. So that's why it's titled Me. Me doesn't necessarily mean me. It means each and every individual person. So that's, and this was my, so I basically wrote four different poems and I was like, hmm, which one of these do I really want to read? And this is the one I finally ended up choosing. So this is everybody is getting excited me. Excellent. I'm looking forward to hear it. Go ahead whenever you're ready. Okay, great. Thank you. Me. I'm salty. I'm spicy. I'm tangy. I'm sweet. You just don't know my taste. I'm messy. I'm naughty. I'm tangled. I'm jumbled. You just can't unravel me. I'm small. I'm silent. I dream big. I live large. You just don't get what makes me tick. I am me and will always be. To get to know me, peel back the layers and you shall see. The living, breathing human living inside who has learned that silence is a shield that can hide sorrow and laughter and joy and anger while providing in this tummy sea a safe anchor. Excellent poem, Nibidita. And, and you included a uh, website, which I never haven't seen before. Gone there. Just random with nk.com. <laughs> and that's so. just my blog site. It's, it's not specifically for poems or anything. It's just anything that catches my fancy, basically. I just I just type on that. So it, it's basically, that's why the name random. So any random thought that enters my head goes on the blog. <laughs> well, that's perfect. Yeah, so if anybody at home wants to, I think I do remember now, the very first time you were on, you mentioned it, and we went there to see a picture of something. I remember that now. Uh, but it's just yeah. random with nk.com if anybody yeah. wants to find Nivedita uh, during the rest of the week. So thanks for, thanks for coming on. Hope you have a Thank great day, Nivedita. Yep. Thank Goodbye. you, Tim. Lovely talking to you. Have a nice evening. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Nivedita Karthik uh, about to go to work uh, with uh, her poem, Me, from the prompt. Let's see. Who should we call up next? We have a... Oh, let's call up Howard Debs. I have a, I, another poet that I... Uh, known for a long time and haven't seen in video at least anyway hey howard how you doing it's great to see you long time no see yeah definitely it's been we talked on the phone one time like sort of plotting poetry strategy like maybe i don't know how many years ago was that eight years ago maybe it has to be uh, that was all about poets respond and look where you are today with that congratulations yeah, yeah it just got, oh that's right it was so that would have been it's six years that that's been going on so after that we we talked about what we might do with that um what do you want to share with us today are you still in florida by the way yes yeah well i'm so glad you could join us uh and i have a link to a just published poem boulder feels like a bubble and the bubble bursts As, do, is there anything you want to say about it to introduce it 
Yes, uh, just a couple of quick things. Uh, the main reason I wanted to uh, come on uh, tonight was to promote the publication that published that piece, uh, Topical Poetry. And uh, I'm sure you will agree that uh, we have a need for outlets for topical poetry or what Rattle has characterized as news poems. And uh, we seem to be losing those. As a matter of fact, the impetus for my call was that I was looking to uh, put topical poetry in your list of news poem outlets, and I can't find that list. Is it no longer uh, in the uh, uh, Rattle Poet Respond group? It should be there, unless maybe they changed the way. Maybe maybe got unpinned. It used to be pinned to the top. I'll, right, I'll find it. Exactly. Yeah, I'll find it and put this in because yeah, I, I I need to update that too. If anybody, we do have. If you go to uh, Rattle's Facebook page. You can go to our groups, and we have like six groups. One of them is for Poets Respond. I think there's like 5,000 people in there. And um, it, the, the pin post at the top used to be anyway. I haven't, I haven't looked in a while. It used to be a list that, that was it's community-generated of all the uh, places that publish topical poems or news poems, as we call them. And um, so, so if anybody has any um, things they want to share, like this, topicalpoetry.com, please go join our Facebook group if you're not in that group and then share it, find that document. I'll repin it to the top if they took it out. I think right. they changed, they used to call it pinning it, now they call it announcements. And maybe when right. they did that, it took it off right. and I never Thank noticed. You, Facebook. Yeah. But, uh, but we've but, lost so many. Uh, uh, Tuck is no longer uh, mm -hmm. with us. Uh, that was. Uh, uh, Michael uh, Organ, uh, and uh, I Am Not a Silent Poet, which uh, unfortunately uh, Reuben Woolley, who did that, uh, passed away. And so we've lost a number of uh, options there. And uh, so I was delighted to see Topical Poetry spring up, and I'm trying to promote their stock. Yeah, do you know when it started? Oh, it says right here. I'm on the, um, let me put it on the screen. This is the um, About page. But it says it's an all-inclusive webzine publishing diverse poems and, on current events launched in 2021. It combines the power of poetry and the dynamism of modern societies. Um, and so you can find that at Topical Poetry. That's T-O-P-I-C-A-L poetry.com. Uh, but let's hear your poem. First of all, introduce uh, what your poem is about. Okay, so I'm going to do some reverse engineering. I've been using the idea of afterwards with a lot of my topical poetry. Uh, that's that wasn't my idea. Actually, it was uh, poets reading the news. Uh, Ellie Newton, who you may know, who who uh, has poetry, poets reading the news, she suggested that because I would always uh, submit with these. Um, I I use them as a kind of an annotation, uh, not to explain but to amplify. Hmm. That's the intent, anyway. And uh, so I'll. Uh, usually I have an afterword. I'll put this before the fact of the piece itself. Uh, afterward, I lived in Boulder as a student in the early 60s. It was idyllic then. Now it will not be known so much for the lyrics in John Denver's song. I hear him humming some old song he wrote of love in Boulder Canyon. I guess he'd rather be in Colorado, but instead as the place of yet another mass shooting in America. Hmm. Boulder feels like a bubble and the bubble burst. I, I use, uh, uh, this is a, 
epigraph that I use as the title, actually. Uh, and uh, were you going to, uh, you have that up? Yeah, I have it up for everybody at home. You'll have to read it from your own screen, though. That's fine. I have it. Yeah, go ahead. Whenever you're ready, it's up. Thank you. Boulder feels like a bubble, and the bubble burst. Ryan Borowski, Boulder mass shooting survivor. When I first arrived in Boulder, I remember heading to the Dieter's boarding house. That was almost 60 years ago. On the hill, as it was called. An eager student looking forward to the future. I saw the Flatirons for the first time. The Welcome to the Rocky Mountains range. Being a boy from Illinois, the Prairie State, the Giants put me in my place. A small presence within Mother Earth's landscape. I recollect staring out from one of its peaks, looking down on the city, then much smaller, now grown, a consequence of its appeal to those free-spirited, nature-loving, gentle souls who chose to call it home. I think back to my first winter there, the thermometer showing in the teens, yet a sweater kept me warm, the air so crisp, the humidity so low. I recall plodding through the snow, gleaming in beams of streetlights, my new knee-high army surplus canvas mucklucks serving the purpose the Inuit people intended, heading back to my room from a coffee house after listening to locals cover the tunes of Odetta, Joan Baez, The Weavers. That night, serene and still. The light of this day filled with screams, the shrill sound of cell phones ringing with no one to answer among the dead. Oh, great poem. And that was a Howard Debs, of course, with uh, Boulder Feels Like a Bubble and the Bubble Burst. Uh, and that's a quote from Ryan Borowski, Boulder mass shooting survivor. Howard, thanks so much for joining the show and uh, sharing that poem with us today. Keep up the good work. Yeah, definitely. You too. Bye now. Bye. And it was Howard Debs, a big promoter of um, of uh, topical poetry. And you can find that new website, which I wonder, let me see if I can see how often they publish a poem. Do they do a poem every day? Let's see, March 28th, April 11th. Let's see, trending. He posts. I'm just trying to see how often they publish one. April 11th, they had a couple, a bunch on April 11th and March 28th. Then March 14th. So it looks like you regularly published for now in clusters is what they're doing. Maybe every, maybe every other week. Yeah, I guess it's every other week. What day is, uh, let me see. That would be every other week on Sunday. It looks like what they're doing. Um, so, so that's a great place. Um, you know, the, the reason why we do Poets Respond Live is because we can only publish one or maybe two poems a week. And we get you know, one or 200, sometimes up to a thousand uh, poems submitted every week for Poetry Spawn. And so it's great to have other venues that publish poems while they're still timely. And um, so so this uh, Topical Poems that comes published, uh, Howie Good, I see, a poet I think we've published before, um, Krista Genevieve, Margaret Coger, Krista Ferris, who we've published before. So good poets in here too, as well as Howard Debs, who you just heard from. So check that out at topicalpoetry.com. Now, let's go to back to the open lines. And um we will call let's call up Sandra um Yanone. 
Sandra, I think was on last week, maybe, or two weeks ago. Let's find Sandra's poem. Here it is, Titanic. You are perfect. Uh, so glad you could join us again. How are you doing today? Yeah, thank you. What a great evening with Kim. Yeah, it always is. I just love, I just love doing this. It's the highlight of my week for sure. Uh, what do you want to share with us today? Well, in that vein of topical poems in a completely different way, mm-hmm. I'm a bit of a what's called a titaniac. A titaniac. Is that the, uh, the Titanic or is that titanium that you're, you're manic it's about? the Titanic. Uh, I'm like very obsessed with the Titanic and um, my debut collection Boats for Women the first section has all poems about maritime disasters and most prominently the Titanic disaster Um, and in fact nine years ago today I was on my way to the site of the disaster for a memorial service on the hundredth anniversary Oh, wow. Which I know is quite, it was quite an adventure. Yeah. So you were out on a boat? Yes. um, How how big was the boat? How many, uh, how many people were were out there with you on the boat? There were about 3,000 people. Oh, wow. There was only our boat was allowed to be, there were only two ships that were allowed to be there for this occasion out about in the mid Atlantic and, um, there's all kinds of rules. On the 100th anniversary, the, the site of the Titanic sinking turned into an international grave site, mm. which means it has all kinds of protections about it. And there's just, I could go on and on and on. I read about the Titanic all the time, and I, that's not why we're here, but... <laughs> well, let me ask, <laughs> though, I'm just curious, to... like, what do you think, um, what do you think draws you to the Titanic? Like, what aspect of it, what, what's like the, the kernel in there that makes it so fascinating? You know, I think that the Titanic, the ship and the story around the ship, it really encapsulated the world. Um, there were, there were people from all over the world on the ship from all different kinds of social classes all different stories there's it's just there's just so many angles and depending on culturally where you are hearing the story about the titanic uh it each 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 country has a different narrative so for ireland it's often about the building of the ship and the fact that her last port of call cove ireland but it was called queenstown back then in 1912 was uh, was a major major port for people immigrating to the united states um the irish so millions and millions of people left from that port of call and it was titanic's final port of call unfortunately on her maiden voyage it wasn't supposed to be obviously Mm -hmm. um but in england you know it's in the u.s it's all about the first class passengers and, you know, all the luxury, but depending on what country you're from, Titanic has a really different feel. So I just feel like as a metaphor, it, it is a huge container, a Titanic container that really holds 
all stories and history. That is so cool. I never thought of it like that at all. But yeah, like like a, a boat of stories or something that um, let me yeah. show the cover yeah. is your book, um, your book, this is your book from salmon press. Um, and I'll put that it on correct. screen yeah. for everybody boats for women, which oh, you can find. You. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that all about the Titanic? Or, um, or is it other things too? There's the first section is mostly about the Titanic and other maritime disasters. I like to fuse the historical and the personal. Mm-hmm. Um, I when I first was writing the manuscript, it was a very interior book about coming out as lesbian, mm-hmm. and I decided I needed something, no pun intended, to ballast that. And so I happened to go into a bookstore in Lincoln, Nebraska, and was drawn to a book about the Titanic. Hmm. And I read it like in one fell swoop, this huge tome on the Titanic, about the Titanic, a Titanic tome. <laughs> and, um, and, and, I, and then the metaphors uh, from those stories kind of just percolated you know they they you know and and also i grew up on the east coast off of long island sound Mm -hmm. my father's was a coast guard reservist did many search and rescue missions he's one of only about three thousand people to have received the silver life-saving medal from the coast guard which they've been giving out since like the late 1800s. So there's a lot of maritime in me. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, that the Titanic kind of helped me allow that to come out too. Very cool. (laughs) Well, what you want to read was the title poem and I have it up here. Why don't you go ahead and read it whenever you're ready? Great. Thanks. Yes. So this is the title, the title poem boats for women. Yes. The boat sank. Yes, it broke into like a stereotypical heart before it plummeted to depths no one could measure until 70 years later, technology caught up and looked its ancestor in the face. Yes is the way the years oxidize the steel and yes wipes the name Titanic off the bow. Yes are the lifeboats, the davits, the call for women and children first. Yes, are the men who cry from the decks. Sometimes when I kiss her, I am leaving a yes on her lips to remind her that I will go down with the ship. Sometimes when she whispers yes, she is staying on board. But there is always room in the lifeboats for two more women. Yes is the fact that if we were alive on that night, we would have lived. Excellent poem. And that was the title poem uh, by Sandra Yunone from Boats for Women, her book from Salmon Poetry 2019. Thanks so much for calling in and sharing that, Sandra. Thank you. And happy Titanic Day tomorrow, April 14th, 109th anniversary. Oh, wow. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, perfect timing. So uh, when most people listen to this tomorrow on their drives or whatever, uh, it'll be Titanic Day. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Really, really uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, thank you. Take care and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, that was Sandra Yunone with uh, Boats for Women. Um, who should we call next? Let's do, um, yeah, a lot of people on here. Um, let's do, let's do Tony Clark. We did technically, uh, we did technically talk to Tony Clark one time before, but let's, uh, 
Let's call up Tony Clark again. And then we also have a Julian Julian Matthews. Uh, I'm going to read Carlton Johnson's poem. Take care. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, Tony. I, I hear myself in the background, so mute that before I bring you in. Perfect. Okay. Right. Excellent. Um, so how are you doing tonight, Tony? Hey, I'm great. Happy National Poetry Month. Yeah, same to you. Um, if you want to come in on video, you'd have to click the camera button. I don't see it either. But if you want to stay on audio, that's fine too. Oh, how do I do that? Uh, the camera button is between the hang up, the red button, and the mute button. There's a little camera icon. Here you come. Uh, oh, there Excellent. I am. Yeah, there you go. Let me uh, get you the right size. Um, so where are you calling from again, Tony? I don't remember. I'm in Winooski, Vermont. Ah, that's right. Um, and how are things? I hear you get a lot of rain the last couple of days. The, my no, Mets games were weather. It's been beautiful here. Oh, has it? Oh, really? Hasn't, it didn't get down. Yeah. Oh, cool. So uh, that was a great interview tonight. I loved hearing Kim. I've taken a couple of workshops with her in past years at the Westchester Poetry Conference, and always just a great, a lot of fun. Really, really great workshops. Yeah, for sure. I hear she's. I mean, that's why we did the issue. Um, I just people have said for a long time that she's one of the best poetry teachers in the business. Her and Marvin Bell. Are the two people I think that come up the most is uh, she's great, and so is and Dorian Locks. And Dorian, is- yeah, too, yeah, yeah, a lot of great people for sure. And, and Ellen Bass, that area, that San Francisco Bay Area has a lot of them. Um, but anyway, what did you want to share with us today? I have the woman who picked me up. What what is this? Yes, well, this is a poem from my uh, my second poetry collection, Dance Craze, and um, I didn't have a chance to write uh, a poem to the uh, prompt this week, but I thought I would read this this one from my collection. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going to have it. I have it up whenever you're ready. Uh, go ahead and read okay. it. Unless, is there anything you want to say to introduce it other, otherwise? Uh, no, except that I think I was reading it over tonight and I thought, boy, I really identify with the woman of the title and the woman who's speaking, the passenger in the car. Interesting. Well, let's hear it. Whenever you're ready, go ahead. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. The woman who picked me up had slammed on the brakes of her rusty Dodge, deciding to pull over after all, had streaked hair and muddy boots, a lazy eye, and once in a while a wistful look, had a gallon of milk and a six-pack, a torn map, and a hammer on the seat between us, had to have been under 30, but claimed she was no spring chicken in dog years, had her radio turned to country and tried to sing along, but didn't really know the words, had a way of asking questions, then not waiting for the answers in a breezy, inoffensive way, had two kids back at her mother's, one that cried all the time, one that never did, had just got out of some place, I don't know what or where, but it changed her life, had seen the light, turned a corner, put the past behind her and a four-day drive ahead, had me thinking when I got clean, I'd buy a pickup, drive hard and fast to some place I've never been. Oh, great poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. Uh, and that was uh, from Dance Craze. Uh, the poem yeah. was The Woman Who Picked Me Up. Uh, and who published Dance Craze? So people can find it. Melview Books. Melview Books. Okay, great. Well, thanks so much, Antonia, for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Thanks. Good yep. to see you again. Yeah, same here. Good night. Bye. Bye. 
Yeah, that was Antonia Clark uh, with uh, The Woman Who Picked Me Up from her book Dance Craze. Let's see, who else do we have? We have um, Nershanti. Let me see over here. Hang on one second while I see who uh, sent me stuff. Let's do Julian Matthews. Hey, Julian, are you there? Hi. Hey, great. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, do you want to come in on video too? I, I just have audio right now. It's the camera button if you want to. Uh, I think my internet is a bit too spotty for that. Okay, no problem. Well, uh, what do you have to share with us? So the poem is called Egg. It's uh, inspired by K. Ryan's eggs. And I oh. uh, added your three prompts in. Okay, great. Well, uh, I'm going to put it up on screen. Uh, go ahead whenever you're ready. It's, it's up. Egg. Some fragile days, I'm an egg. I break easy over a moody, broody nest or into a hot, non-stick walk. Hard scrabble or soft scramble. Up in the air to burn in despair. Flight or fry. Some days I crack, open and come undone, only to reawaken with curtain-drawn eye to my own unshelled hard-boiled reality. We are all eggs in a way. That's how we arrive, and that's how we rot away. In between, try to stay white-eyed. Seldom expose your yellow underbelly. Live large and peppery. Soak in the salty. Don't beat yourself up too often. Better get laid than never. Write naughty poem, and every now and then, tell a good yoke. <laughs> That's great. I love that. That was Julian Matthews. Where are you calling from, Julian? I forgot to ask. I'm calling from Malaysia. Ah, well, I'm so glad you could join us. What what time is it there? It's 10.43 ah. a.m. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Well, that's good timing. I'm so glad you could join us and share that poem. Thank you, Tim. Yep, have a good night. So that was Julian Matthews with Egg and... um. And uh, find the hashtag Julian Julian's poems and Julian's puns and the great pun at the end there. Thanks for sharing that, Julian. Uh, let's see. Who should we call up next? We have uh, – let's get to – let's get to Nershati, who I think is also calling – where was she calling from? Hey, Nershanti, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Thank you. Um, and where were you calling from again? I can't quite remember. I come from Indonesia, Jakarta. Ah, that's right, Jakarta. Um, yes. Let me get the... There we go. Um, and what do you have to share with us tonight? Uh, I want to share you uh, the poem titled Java. Mm -hmm. Just one second while I pull it up. Wait, uh, wait. Yeah, go ahead. It's up for everybody else. So just read your version. Jaffa, large is our eyes, with big mouth as a stay, as a staying place. We like to be together. Call us with Java. You feel naughty when you meet us. Is it true? Just forgive us of everything. You will not feel naughty anymore of us. We know your body is not salty, but one thing that you must hold 
our body that's healthy. That's the body which holds the world. Well, that's a beautiful, beautiful little poem. Thanks so much thank for sharing you. that. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So glad you could join us again. Uh, talk to you soon. Yes. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, so that was Nershanti with um, this poem, which the the headline was um, Extreme Weather Forecast, and the link wasn't working for me, but Extreme Weather Forecast in Central Java uh, Will Change the World. And that was the a poem Java there by Nershanti. Thanks so much for sharing that, Nershanti. Let me go to, let me, you know what I'm going to do next is read for you Carlton Johnson's poem. And he had, I think this is a prop poem, I believe. Yeah, I think so. So uh, this is Where I Live. And I think this is going to be a, I think this is going to be a prop, but we'll see. We'll see if we notice those adjectives in here as we go. Yep, I see, I see naughty. Okay. This is, uh, this is Carlton Johnson's. Let me uh, drop this down without deleting it like I did last time. Okay. Um, where where I live. Let's go like this, too. Where I live. I see Glenn, a man large of girth and age in an old white terry cloth robe walking from the condo pool. The air is cool and gentle now after a rainstorm electrified the air, water. Clouds and skies died a shade of crimson reserved for the dead in some countries. I inhale a salty taste here, shimmering from my breath and settling on my lips, an old marsh or tidal bog. The salt stings cutting furrows and my wrinkles trailing down wounds of my face. The tile in my house looks like real wood, piney and knotty. It lacks splinters of real wood, good for my bare feet at 3 a.m. in those wee hours when nothing escapes notice, even dreams. The evening sun peeks out behind a robe of clouds glistening off the pool below. And that was uh, Carlton Johnson's prompt poem, Where I Live. Of course, Carlton lives down in Florida. So um, thanks for sharing that, Carlton. Another excellent poem, as always. Always appreciate it. Let me call up, let's see, who should we do next? Let's call up Brent Stoffer. He wasn't on last week, I don't think, or maybe he was. But let's do it again. And then we have Joyce Stahl. Let's see, we have 10 minutes. Uh, Joy Stahl will do for sure. Um, and I think we'll probably get to everybody. We'll probably get to Richard Westheimer too. I think we can do it. I think we can do it. Let's do it. So um, let's see. Although Judith, let's see, there's a Judith who sent me a, a poem. I can't, it's all like, like pasted through text. So Judith, if you would like, you got to email me that poem. I'm going to make sure. Let me check really quick to see if I have it. Because um, I can't I can't really pull it off of the text messaging. It Well, maybe I can. Maybe I can do that. Let me see if it works. Bear with me, everybody. I'm not sure if I'll get the poem right, but, but we'll call Judith in a second if I can get this. I guess that works, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to call Brent Stauffer right now for, with his large, naughty, salty poem. And then we'll go to Judith, and then we'll go to... We'll get to as many as we can. Hey, Brent. How, you didn't it's, even, like, hey. pop in weird this time. It was good. Well, well, check it out. I've got ah, a new the, setup. The new setup. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. Looking I, all I'm posh and a, professional. I'm trying to be as much like Caitlin Buxbaum as possible. That's, that's, a, that's tough to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. At her mission control center. But, uh... yeah. <laughs> yeah, I went from I went from Bluetooth earbuds to plug-in 
this is a gaming headset. Yeah. But it's got the it's got the microphone and everything and um, I got it just for you, Tim. Awesome. Well, well thanks just, so much for, for everybody, for everybody yeah, who enjoys well, your poems. That's right. But it, does, right. it really yeah. works nice. The sound and video quality are great. That's that's awesome. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yep. So uh, so what do you got for us? You got a, a naughty, salty poem. Yeah, I sure do. Um, I was having a little difficulty with this one. I, I, I like I I put the words into my into the back of my mind where they knocked around for days and nothing was coming. And then um, I read Kim uh, Anadizio. Anadizio, Anadizio, yeah. Anadizio's uh, poem that you published online today. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it put me in a sort of uh, playful mood. And um, so it's it's two things. It's a, it's, a, it's a prop poem, and it's also a response to that poem. So Perfect. here it goes. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, writer as cheater. There once was a large, naughty, salty object. Now that I've used all three adjectives mandated by the prompt, I am free to move about the cabin. So, what else? What else? I don't feel good about cheating. I really don't. Especially since it might not even work. What if, and this is likely... Everyone's open mic poem is superior in every way. Kim Adizio says it's either keep reading, keep writing, or get a life. So here's one word after the other. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I got to admit, that made me laugh, Brad. I had to, I had to keep it in there. <laughs> now, <laughs> that, now that I've used all three agitators, <laughs> agitators, yeah. agitators mandated by the prompt. That was funny. <laughs> I, I, I cheated, I, I admit. Yeah. <laughs> well, it works, though. It works. Um, thanks so much for sharing that, Brad. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tim. <laughs> yep. Have Take a good care. one. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah. Great to see that headset, too. Thanks, Brad. Um, okay. Now let's do, let's call up uh, Judith. We'll see if this works. So Judith wasn't available. Um, yeah. So I'll, maybe I'll try again a little bit. If Judith, give, send me a chat message there if you're still here, and I will call you back. Uh, but if not, we'll just keep moving on. Let's go to Joy Stahl. Hey, Joy, how are you doing today? I'm tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you have to share for us? Well, I have the, the prompt poem from last week. Um, that I didn't get to share. Oh, and great, yeah. I sent you a revised version of it today. Yep, I see it here, six hours ago, Dear Suicide. And the prompt last week for everybody who didn't doesn't remember, it was to write a letter poem to a, um abstract concept. Is that how he phrased it? A yeah. letter to an abstract concept. Yeah, so yours was Suicide, Dear Suicide. Um, anything you want to say about it before you start? Yeah, the... Uh, the day that you gave the prompt was the funeral of a coworker, uh, and this poem speaks to that. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's awful. Yeah. Uh, but go ahead whenever you're ready. All right. Dear Suicide, I hate you. I know hate is a strong word, but you keep kidnapping and killing my friends, former students, coworkers. I was acquainted with but didn't really know and of course people I have never met it's not about me it's about you if I had been there 
If I had seen the signs of your sneaky, insidious influence, I would have asked questions and offered support to the person you were bullying, but I was not there. I did not sense that you were lurking nearby. So the news of the aftermath of your violence visit was met with shock as we all tried to absorb and cope. Denial in the form of, well, we don't really know that what happened, both softened the blow and made it linger like a bruise. I'm angry that you hurt so many people, the survivors of the moments of your attack, the wife, the children, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and the thousands of students. I'm furious that one person listening to you can make others also follow your path. And of course, that is what happened next. On the morning of the memorial service came the news that is too difficult to write. You know who you stole from the world. Young life on the verge of adulthood, vulnerable and trusting, someone I liked. All of this brought to my mind back to the time when you visited me. When you stood at the bottom of the stairs and beckoned me to take flight, taunting me with my shortcomings and insecurities, your coaxing invitation to make the pain go away. Fortunately, I rec recognized that you were brought into my house by a new prescription medication. I ushered you both to the door and stood, shaking, realizing how close I came to believing in your lives. There have been other visits, but that was the worst. So here I stand at the top of another staircase, this one made up of my students, both current and former, trying to hold on to them so that they do not fall trying to buoy their self-esteem and sense of connection to the world, giving them what you cannot. The final stage of grief is acceptance, but I refuse to accept you, dear suicide. I reject your lies and your false comforts. I will continue to take you seriously and watch for the signs that you are whispering to those I care about. I am on guard against you. Well, thanks for sharing that, Joy. It's a really heartbreaking story, uh, an important poem. Thanks for sharing it. Thank you. Yeah, have a good night. You too. Okay, that was Joy Stahl with Dear Suicide, the prompt for this week. Uh, we are just about out of time, and there are a few people left. Uh, I th I'm so fortunate we're not going to get to. Maybe, I think we'll do, um, let me do, this is a really, really quick Haiga sequence. We can get through that, I think, and that'll be the end of the show from uh, from uh, Vicky Miko. Let's do that. So here is um, Vicky Miko's Haiga sequence for the uh, naughty, for the prompt. Uh, and, and if you're watching at home, there are going to be some, some um, pictures that come up too as we go through this. So um, here we go. Haiga sequence. A birder's hat hiding a large hole in the naughty fence. The birder adjusts his scope. Salty sweat stings his eyes. Scent of honeysuckle, the morning exposure, sun washes her curves. And so here, maybe if I can zoom in a little bit more, you can see it a little better. And uh, here's the Haiga version. That'll be the second read for each of these. A birder's hat hiding a large hole in the knotty fence. 
to the next one up. The birder adjusts his scope. Salty sweat stings his eyes. And here we have a, a plant with um, water on its leaves. And then a spiral vine thing. Scent of honeysuckle. The morning exposure. Sun washes her curves. There are three excellent poems by uh, Vicky Miko. Oh, there's a haiga too at the end here. A salty day, her extra large t-shirt hiding her knotty knees. And then we have this um, photograph of the beach, an umbrella. A salty day, her extra large t-shirt hiding her knotty knees. So that's a haiga sequence by Vicky Miko. Thanks so much for sharing that, Vicky. It's always, I love having the short ones that we can get through really quickly at the last minute. Um, thanks for sharing that, Vicky. And now I wanted to read just for the next week's um, uh, next week's guest is going to be Eugenia Lee, and uh, let me uh, let me read her uh, Neil Postman Award, or just play her Neil Postman Award poem. It'll take two minutes. This is Destination Beautiful by Eugenia Lee, and that'll be the last poem for tonight. But here we go, and uh, here it is. Destination Beautiful, this won the 2013 Neil Postman Award for Metaphor, which is an award we give once a year for the best use of metaphor in rattle. So here we go. Destination Beautiful. I've come to hunt a time capsule at the west end of Sunset Boulevard, to rummage the beach for remnants of old friends who've abandoned themselves to sprout new families. Suddenly, everyone has cleaved to strangers made of diamonds and cake, capable of waving away whole bruised childhoods, rotten fruits we used to feed this drooling ocean. Years ago, a friend and I hiked the Will Rogers Trail. We caught a dim rainbow at the cliff where he stood and hid his hands in his pockets. We sucked in the Pacific, the traffic. We met an elderly man called Timothy a retired tour guide who slept in his car with a book of red-letter scripture seat-belted next to him. I hoped I would die on that mountain because I thought that close to God it would be a hassle to send me to hell. In the memory of that day, I am alone. The friend is there, also alone. He leans from the cliff and scans the city dots for his beautiful girl, his now Wife. Wife. The word bends like a soft branch in my mouth. I've learned not to choke on it by lying achingly still. The waves reach and reach for me over the black ocean, the tender white hands of children petting a large, harmless corpse. And that was Eugenia Lee's 2013 Neil Postman Award for Metaphor winning poem uh, destination beautiful and you can see why it won the neil postman award for metaphor i think uh that that um i mean so many great metaphors in this poem but uh the number one one i think is wife the word bends like a soft branch in my mouth i i learned not to choke on it by lying achingly still great extension of that great metaphor too that is uh eugenia lee's destination beautiful and eugenia is going to be the guest like i said on rattlecast number 89. But before we uh, go, let me tell you what the next week's prompt is going to be. And it is right here. Next week's prompt. Next week's prompt is going to be write a poem that begins with the following sentence. Pull over at the next stop. 
write a poem that begins with the following sentence, pull over at the next stop. That is next week's prompt, a narrative kind of prompt. It would work for uh, poems or for a fiction or something like that. Um, that is next week's prompt. So you have a week to write your poem about that prompt. And of course, there's your Megan that selects these poems. And, and both Megan and I will try to write a poem after the prompt too, because that's a lot of the fun. And like I said, next week's guest is going to be Eugenia Lee. Uh, her book from a couple years ago is Blood, Sparrows, and Sparrows. She has another book coming out in two years. So I think we might have her on again in two years. But right now we'll have her April 20th uh, on Rattlecast number 89 with her most recent book, Blood, Sparrows, and Sparrows. And that's Eugenia Lee, Rattlecast number 89, April 20th, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Hope to see you then. As always, thank you for watching. It's been a pleasure tonight. I love this episode. Loved uh, Kim. Loved all your poems. Real pleasure doing this every Tuesday. If you enjoyed it as much as I do, click the like button. Make sure you haven't forgotten to do that. It always helps letting poetry spread around the world. And that's what we want to do here at the Rattlecast. So thank you and have a good night.